Thank you for joining us for the 2022 NACDD President's Challenge podcast series. I'm your host, Christy Peer, NACDD Board President from the Maryland Department of Health. In this series, we are talking with leaders around the country about resilience and well-being in our communities, our teams at work, and ourselves to identify ways to apply lessons learned in public health. We are framing the conversations in four categories or buckets based on the socio-ecological model, societal, community, interpersonal, and individual. Resilience is defined broadly, typically dependent on the context. Anne Maston's definition of resilience frames the goals, the capacity of a system to adapt successfully to disturbances that threaten the viability, function, or development of the system. So let's get started. Thank you, Holly and Julie, for joining us again as we continue our conversation around community resilience. I want to jump right back in where we left off so we can talk about the work of resilience in the community and also the significance of addressing racial equity in supporting that resilience in our communities. That's such a great question. I love it. I don't know if I can speak for PHI as a whole, but our team, State of Equity and PHI, really how we define healthy community and what we're trying to to foster through culture and policy change, through government level capacity building, is a community that reflects racial and health equity where all residents have access to social determinants of health, right? Like quality education, safe and affordable and healthy housing, stable employment, transportation, you know, physical activity and nutrition opportunities, on and on and on. It's a community where all people thrive and are liberated, and they have sovereignty in their lives, in their communities, in their communities that aren't disadvantaged by institutions and systems and thus don't experience inequitable outcomes due to those uh, policies and practices that might be inequitable. And so in service of this, as I, I kind of talked about within the Capital Collaborative on Recent Equity, we're really building the capacity of government, including public health practitioners, to understand how institutional racism and how that impacts community, right? And then we're fostering a network of state and national government entities to take action to implement racially equitable policies and practices. And more specifically, I think what this looks like on our team is that government is is accountable to and centers Black people, Indigenous people, and other people of color. And then also those, all of those experiencing economic injustice, right? And this accountability includes proactively providing benefits to, preventing future harm for, and then also taking steps to repair the past and current harms with populations. And when in public health, I think in general, we talk about community resilience, we're really talking about the community's ability to cope, right, with their current context and environment. We say they're being resilient. And it means coping with what has happened to them or what has been thrust upon them, right? And in our conversation today, we're talking about racism as a crisis and a root cause of inequitable outcomes. And I want to say that institutional racism isn't created by indigenous people, black people or other communities of color. It's experienced by those people and carried out by institutions and people in those institutions. So I really challenge us, I think, to think about and talk about resilience in a different way. Instead of the wording that we use, community resilience, it puts the onus on the community to build their resilience, to own their resilience, to be resilient to things that have happened to them. Let's talk about instead maybe how communities can thrive 
and how the community's ability to thrive has been eroded by institutions and systems. And then as government, let's talk about how we as government can implement our policies, procedures, practices in a way that's more equitable, that doesn't erode the ability of communities to be resilient or to thrive. I think a different way to talk about things is really not putting onus on communities to be resilient, but owning that we have a part as an organization, as an institution, and people in the system to implement our work in ways that are more equitable and owning that for ourselves, owning what we have maintained and created with our systems, policies, and practices. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so packed full of the language that you're using around building the thriving community and the sovereignty of its citizens. And it's so poignant right now, I, I think, for so many reasons. And it, I do like that reframing resilience of that of the community the way that you have brought it up holly it really is almost that let's get the supports there first and the resilience hopefully would follow we've got a long way to go to to get there how do relationships developed through the core training cohorts going back a little bit to your training cohorts how do they support equity and community resilience. And also, how are you tracking or measuring the work that's coming out of these partners and and the work that they're doing? So as I touched on a little bit before, the Capital Collaborative on Race and Equity is, you know, a network of state units of government really working together who are all building their capacity to advance racial equity. We use training and other support to help these entities build a greater awareness around how government is creating and maintaining institutional racism, and then also the impacts it has on people and health of communities. And then we also think about implementing strategies. What are those strategies that we need to implement that address institutional racism and advance racial equity? You know, we're leading, I think, much needed policy and practice change so that we can ensure everyone, regardless of race, has the resources, supports, and opportunities to lead healthy, long lives. And we at the State of Equity in the program use an anti-racist results-based accountability model to understand the impact we're having in, in government. Equity is both a process and it's an outcome, right? And we are mostly now using performance accountability via performance measures to understand the ways in which we're having an impact in uh, California state government. So we're really looking at how much are we doing right? How many trainings, number of trainings, number of touch points of technical assistance and other. We're also looking at how well are we doing it? So getting people's input on how have you experienced the trainings? What more do you need? What should we be focusing on? Really like getting the qualitative information to make things better within trainings and technical assistance and other support that we offer. And then we also think about, is anyone better off? And since We're working with state governments. Our population that we want to be better off right now is California state government workers, so building their capacity, but then also the capacity of organizations or units of government to implement changes regarding their policies, practices, the way that they're they're structured, the scaffolding and support that they give 
or have in their departments to advance racial equity, and that can look like a whole bunch of different things. The participants in the program going through the curricula arc that we offer, they also learn about results-based accountability or anti-racist results-based accountability, and they're creating indicators and measures to understand both more proximal changes within their organizations, but then also throughout time, more longitudinally, will be using results-based accountability to understand impacts on life outcomes, which include you know, health outcomes as well. And so we all know government is slow turning ship. And so we're just at the start of getting that ship going. And we're going to be looking at process, process, process in the first, I don't know how many years, and then we can turn and see then once we implement the strategies and change our processes to be more equitable, what impacts then? What impacts then are we going to have on population level health and outcomes? Oh, that's great. And I think, too, it's so interesting, the nuances for then each agency creating their own performance measures as well, because they are different and their outcomes will look different per, by agency. Can you share some lessons learned from the work in health and all and equity policies and a core in California? Really, any recommendations or advice that you can share for our chronic disease directors working in the States, for them who are just getting started, or maybe they're kind of a little bit further along and maybe hit some roadblocks. Is there anything you can share and some lessons learned? So yeah, I can share some lessons learned from the implementation of California Capital Collaborative on Race and Equity. We also call it CORE, C-C-O-R-E, and Advancing Racial Equity in hopes of transforming state government, especially. You know, I've learned that racial equity really moves at the speed of relationships. If you don't have relationships, you're not going to move very far with racial equity, advancing racial equity. Most of my time is spent creating and maintaining relationships, really connecting with participants, with people in government, understanding them, understanding their needs and what they think their needs are and the needs of the organization. I spend time understanding their positionality and their power in the organization and personally and their feelings about racial equity and whatever comes up for them when implementing racial equity strategies. For many people, this is not a feel-good program. It's not a feel-good thing to talk about. Racism, right? It's, it's really loaded for a lot of people. And so I spend a lot of time just listening, listening to how people feel, listening to their worries about starting to implement racial equity strategies. What's going to be the blowback on them? How are they going to feel unsafe in their positions? What challenges are going to come up? What are some strategies to perhaps ease some of those challenges, right? And so a lot of my time is spent listening, listening, listening. So I would say that for people starting this work in organizations that you really then start to understand the players, the champions that are already existing and create relationships with them, understand them. And then also if there are multiple, understand like how you can help to create space and time to coordinate across people to learn about joint lessons learned, to learn about joint needs, to learn about joint hopes and dreams and feelings, right? And then from there, you can work to create a strategy that will help to support them in advancing racial equity. Another thing in which I think I, I mentioned before is that this work is really 
not anything we've figured out. Racial equity doesn't exist. And so we're really, anybody who's working on this is on the cutting edge of advancing racial equity. And so we need to keep that in mind. If it was easy, it would have already been addressed. It would have already been solved. So this is creative work and adaptability and out of the box thinking is really, really needed here because we can't just keep doing the status quo. We can't keep doing what we're doing and expecting equity in the outcome. So we need to do something different. And so with doing things differently, there needs to be a lot of grace (laughs) for yourself and for others in the work because we won't be perfect in the work. We're thinking of things, we're trying things out. You know, a lot of our colleagues like to say, we're creating the plane as we fly it. (laughs) Nothing has been figured out and we're figuring it out in real time together. And so the grace is super important. You will not do things correctly at times. And others will do things that maybe rub you the wrong way or rub other people the wrong way, rub partners the wrong way. And then what the work is actually is coming together and then understanding the repair of of harms or the repair of like, hey, I was really trying to be well-intentioned, but it didn't hit the way it should or it could. Um, so what can I do differently next time? So it's about adaptability. And then I also mentioned that like process is important. Racial equity isn't just the end, the outcome. We're trying to achieve racial equity. It's about the process of being equitable. I've also learned that convening is really important. People kind of ask us, well, what do you do? So you're kind of like a backbone support. You don't what does that mean? What's the value to that? And I will say convening is very important. Government is working in silos. And what I've seen is that it's not easy for those silos to be broken down. So if there are staff that can hold time and space for departments or any units of government to come together, that is very, 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 very valuable. And so we should look at it as value ourselves. It's hard to sometimes, but then also understanding how it will be a value to others is something that I've really struggled with sometimes how to the struggle is how to communicate that value. I know it's valuable, but how to communicate that value of getting people together and being like the convener. And that's mostly about process, right? The process we want to set up an equitable process for people to come together for space and time to talk about these things that usually aren't talked about and what we can do. And I'll also say training is just one part of the transformation process. Training allows for the foundation building, the the sharing of definitions, right? A really level setting place to start from and to grow our capacity around understanding institutional racism and how it relates to policymaking, you know, and public health. And there are other parts that are important as well, such as organizing, organizing people to keep up momentum in state government, organizing in a way that is like what kind of structures need to be created or implemented, right? Like work groups or other things to hold the work that we're doing because they're not created yet, or maybe they're not thinking about anti-racism at all, or in a way that isn't really supported with FTE or budget or other, like we need to be thinking about these things and how to support and create scaffolding in our organization so that we can move the work forward. And last thing I'll say is it's just the start, right? We're just starting. We're like in the infant stages, building, normalizing language and coming together is really the start of this movement and transforming government. And so it's just going to take time. It's 
a marathon, but I will call it more of like a relay marathon <laughs> where we're leaning on each other. There really is no end. It's a process. And so we need to keep passing the baton and passing the baton. And then we'll take the baton and we'll run with it sometimes and implement the work. And then we need to pass it to someone else as we kind of get wore down from the work or whatever. It's a marathon relay. And so we have to do it together. And that's kind of my last point. We have to do it together and have to support each other in different ways than we've been supporting each other before. Like what is collective care and community care actually look like for practitioners in public health and those especially doing racial equity work? What does that care look like in institutions and within teams, right? And so this is like a really important thing that we need to think about. It's not always the outcome. It's like caring for the people that are doing the work, caring for the community that experience these things. Thank you. And Julie, I think you wanted to talk a little bit as well about the broader health and all policies. Yeah. Thanks, Christy. I would love to share some lessons learned as well about health and equity and all policies and racial equity work. And I have to first say, though, Holly, I know we work together every day, but Whenever I hear you reflecting on this work, I learn something new and it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, we are building the work as we do it and we are continually learning. So that was a pleasure to listen to those and I'll see what I can add that's not redundant. One of the things that I think is really critical and that we've really learned is you really do need an all of government approach and it makes a huge difference to not be doing this one government unit at a time, but to be doing this together and in an environment where there's opportunity for peer-to-peer -peer exchange, for collaborative identification of problems and solutions. And part of what happens in the course of that is we identify issues that might seem like they're an issue with one single unit of government, but they're actually much more systemic. and. As we understand that from an all of government, whole of government approach, it helps us better understand then what the possible solutions might be and who to involve. It also makes a very big difference to have leadership champions for this work at the highest levels of government. And so even though one particular agency or department might be doing this work, if you're at a city or a county level, it makes a huge difference to have support from the mayor or the board of supervisors or the city council or for us in state government from the governor's office and the legislature. And we do need champions inside of state government, but we also need advocates outside of state government, or I'm saying state government, but really whatever government jurisdiction that folks are working at, not only do the advocates outside of government bring tremendous knowledge and experience that is critical for us understanding what government should actually be doing, but they also have significant influence and an opportunity to put pressure on and hold us accountable, whether it's us, you know, we are a nonprofit team or our colleagues who are inside government. I have definitely found that as we do the work, it gets more impactful over time. And this goes back to something that Holly was alluding to, but you can start small and this work will snowball. If you are doing this work right, even if you start small, you start bringing a few people together, you start tackling some issues that seem like maybe low hanging fruit or within reach, you will very quickly 
surface and uncover much bigger, deeper issues. But the other thing is people will start coming out of the woodwork and joining you. There are so many people inside of government who care deeply and passionately about social justice, about the communities that they serve, about racial justice, and who are hungry for an opportunity to take action and transform the systems that they know very well. They know the systems, they understand those barriers. And so just setting the table, people will come. And that's just been incredibly powerful. I think there's also a critical role for public health. And I know that public health is the audience for this podcast. And whether we are working in fields like transportation or youth services or education or land use, whatever it may be, there's a critical role for public health because all of this impacts health, because all of this is tied to social determinants of health and equity, but also health can play a convening role between other units of government and different policy areas. And we certainly have a long history of health organizations not being a trusted partner by community, but we also have some very good examples of where public health has been a trusted partner and has had some deep ties in community. And often public health has the data that other agencies don't have about how their work is impacting health in communities. I think the last thing I want to say is just to start where you are. And this is kind of the call to action. You might be in a place with robust racial equity work already, but you may be in a place where there's not much happening. And just you getting a few people, whoever you are, a few people together and beginning to have these conversations, contact a few people in units of government or departments or agencies that are not your own. Ask for coffee. Ask how they're seeing institutional and structural racism come up in their work. Ask what they're frustrated about. What are they trying to change? It is through those questions and those spaces for dialogue that so much of the action and opportunity emerges. That's really wonderful. Just getting started and public health typically does do a good job of convening people. And I also like some of what you were talking about, Holly, really about the adaptability and don't be so afraid of maybe making some mistakes or missteps is kind of what I heard from you, Holly. And getting started is the most important thing. Thank you both so much for joining us. There's so much for us to really think about. And in this conversation, going back to some of what Holly was talking about, is that this is tough work. It's something that is not easy. It's something that actually can be very challenging and sometimes personally very challenging to be able to dig into this work. But I want to thank you both so much for joining us today. And any last thoughts before we head out? I just want to thank you, Christy and NACDD for having us today. It was a pleasure to talk about it. Yes, we could talk way longer about this work. And I'm I'm willing to if there's another discussion that that we want to hold. And yeah, just if anyone has questions about the work, and would like to reach out to us, I support that. And I will be willing to field any questions and even take short calls if anyone would like to chat about the work and then get them plugged in as well. 
Thank you again to our friends from PHI, Holly and Julia. I hope our listeners are energized and ready to begin conversations with partners in every sector to take action toward improving community resilience through advancing racial equity. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for another episode of the NACDD President's Challenge podcast.